The Bible Study Podcast, episode 643. Today, the Bible Study Podcast is a special episode, which is a sermon about beginnings and change. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. This is a sermon that I preached this week at my church, which is Bethel Lutheran Church in Cupertino. There are slides that go with it. Uh, if you're interested in those, you can go to BethelCupertino.org and see the video of this particular sermon. I want to read you the three different verses that we read that are being talked about in this particular sermon. They are from Isaiah 49, 1 Corinthians 1, and John 1. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born, while I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 1 through 9. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks, my God, always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then John 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom it is said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He 
on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, is the one who baptizes me with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walked by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Good morning. Uh, First of all, I'd like to remind you all of the unwritten rule. If there's no children's message, that time goes to the sermon. (laughs) I hope we're good with that. To the Church of God in Cupertino, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who are call, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm hoping that the Apostle Paul will forgive me for uh, borrowing his words, but these are the words that he uses to open the letter that we have today, which is the letter to the Corinthians. And so that is a letter that I think many of you are familiar with. It has probably two very well-known chapters, one that talks about spiritual gifts and one that may have been read at your wedding that talks about love. But these are the words that Paul uses to introduce it. And this is the beginning. And I found within the three passages that we have today, which is why Rosemary had to read all three, (laughs) um, a theme here of beginnings. So within the second passage that we have, we have the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of John. Right after the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, uh, which is in all four Gospels, this is the only one that tells it through the words of John the Baptist. Um, As these first two disciples, who are disciples originally of John the Baptist, become disciples of Jesus when they respond to the words, Come and see. And so we have a second beginning. And Isaiah, in that first lesson, took us all the way back to the beginning of his ministry, which he said began when he was still in his mother's womb. When he was still in his mother's womb, he was called and named by God. And so as I looked at these three passages, beginnings is one of the things that occurred to me. And since we are starting a new year and we are starting a new decade, I want to talk about beginnings, and I want to go someplace we often go to at the beginning of the years. How many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? Three? (laughs) Something like that. How many of you uh, don't want to raise your hand because you already broke your New Year's resolutions this year? (laughs) How many didn't make New Year's resolutions because you broke them last year? (laughs) Okay, there's a few of those. Uh, Just in case you're wondering, this is a, a survey of the most popular New Year's resolutions. Um, The first one there at the top, diet or eat healthier, that is my New Year's resolution this year as it was last year. Uh, I am pleased to say that I have lost three or four pounds already this year, which is good. And if I lose three or four more, I'll get to the weight I started last year when I had the resolution to lose 20 pounds. So um, 
New Year's resolutions are hard, and change is hard. So when we get to the end of this sermon, I'm actually going to give you 12 practical tips for keeping your New Year's resolutions that are theologically sound and scientifically based and completely practical. Uh, Before we get there, I'm going to give you four different things that I want you to remember about change. So yes, this is a 16-point sermon, so it's just as well we did not have the children's message today. I want to go back, we're going to do the, the lessons in a different order, to the first verse that I skipped over from the letter to Corinthians. How many of you, when you saw, when you heard that first lesson there, and it said, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes thought, ah, Sosthenes. (laughs) No one. Okay. Sosthenes, I'm not surprised, Sosthenes is mentioned only, or that name is mentioned only one other time in the Bible. And it happens to be mentioned in the book of Acts in the city of Corinth. So I'm going to guess that this Sosthenes is that Sosthenes. That the reason why Paul greets them with greetings from Sosthenes is he thinks they know who he's talking about. Right? Is that a fair assumption? Okay. Well, that is interesting because the Sosthenes mentioned in the book of Acts is the head of the synagogue who is in opposition to Paul. And so, if this is, I believe, the same person, this person now, sometime between that book and this letter, has become a brother of Paul, a brother in Christ. And so the first of the principles that I want to give you this morning is that people can actually change. And if we're going to talk about change, that is a good thing to know. But moreover... I would tell you that God is in the people-changing business. That specifically, the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification is the big word we use, the making of us holy, is about changing us over time. Okay, So that's our first principle. People can actually change. And I know that doesn't feel that way often, including ourselves. And then I want to go back to Isaiah. We're going to bounce around here just a little bit. Isaiah, we said, said he was called and named by God while he was still in his mother's womb. That led me to wonder, well, what does Isaiah mean? And Isaiah means Yahweh saves. God saves. God intervenes into our situation and changes it, changes us, or takes us out. God rescues us. God saves. And some of you, with the 2019 that you've had, this is good news. So that's one thing. But the other thing that I pick up from this is that God had plans for Isaiah. Not just plans that he came up with on the spur of the moment, but that God had plans for Isaiah while he was still in his mother's womb. He made plans for Isaiah, and he made Isaiah... For the plan. That that plan was specific to that person and appropriate to the skills and gifts that he gave him. Are you willing to believe that with the prophet Isaiah? Are you willing to believe that with you? Because I think it is true of us as well. But how did Isaiah do? 
there's a couple different ways we can measure the success of Isaiah. Isaiah, what was his calling? According to the verses we read, his calling was to go to the people of Judah and tell them to repent and call them back to God because this is in a period of time late in Kings when they are being unfaithful to God and they are worshiping other gods. Do you know, by the time he died, did Judah repent and come back to God? I see a few heads going like this. No, so it is tempting to say that Isaiah was a failure. Right? He was sent to tell the people to repent, and they did not repent. Not only that, but in the verses that Rosemary read, God ups the ante and says, it's too small a thing for you to do the thing that you're not doing, or do the thing that's not working. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And he says, I will give you as light to the nations. I'm going to use you also to get the word out to people who are not Jewish. How did Isaiah do on that? Well, just to put this in perspective, Isaiah's ministry started in 740 B.C. How many authors can you quote who were writing in 740 B.C.? Do you know who was the bestsellers list of the New York Times, or possibly it's the Babylonian Times, in 740 B.C.? I do not. Uh, This is pretty much the only writer I know who was writing at that time whose works have stood the test of time. Because we don't grade Isaiah on how well the people of Judah did responding to his message. The measure of Isaiah's success was, was he faithful to the calling that God gave him? That even against the frustration that these people will not listen, Isaiah kept preaching. Isaiah kept on doing what God called him to do. So that first grade turns out to be an error. (laughs) Isaiah, we call a major prophet, and we remember and cherish the words that he wrote to this day, even if at the time it looked like he was being unsuccessful. It can be too easy for us to predetermine that that New Year's resolution we made is not working, and let's just quit or the change that we're looking to make in our life, or that God is looking to make in our life, is not working and just quit. It can be frustrating. Um, I don't know about you, but I am frustrated on a daily and weekly basis that I don't get enough done. Now, I get a fair amount of things done. Just to put it in perspective, I work a full-time job at a startup company. I have three to four podcasts, three that are active, two blogs, a side company, and I do volunteer work. And yet, I am on a daily and weekly basis frustrated that I don't get done the things I want to get done. There's a a quote that I love from Bill Gates who said, most people overestimate what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in ten years. And I think that's true. It is not biblical, but it is true. (laughs) And I want to give you an example. So back in 2006... I felt a a calling and a desire to teach more of the Bible. This is something that I like to do. I have, let's be fair, no degree in theology of any kind. I was not approved by the church council or the pastor. Um, 
every time I teach the Bible, including being up here and preaching, I feel at least one of the emotions that goes through me is that I am, that I am an imposter. Okay? So that is what I'm dealing with here. Now, how many of you listen to podcasts or at least know what a podcast is? A few of you. Okay. But third, how many of you were listening to podcasts in 2006? Wow. <laughs> we got one. Okay. And two. I was also. Um, but basically, there weren't very many people. So when I started this, pretty much no one was listening. But I felt a calling and a desire to do this. So thinking of this sermon and thinking of that quote from Bill Gates, I went back and I looked to see how many times has somebody downloaded one of those podcasts in the last decade, in the 2010s, and was surprised to learn that it was three million times. And I wonder in that same period of time how many quilts the quilters made, how many slides were made for service, how many locks the men of Monday fixed on doors and refixed because they broke, you know, sometime three months later? When we are faithful to the calling that God gives us over time, you would be amazed at how much that adds up. As with Isaiah, I think the measure is not the short term results that get me frustrated, but the long term results that come from faithfulness. We had the director of CIC, the chaplain group that I'm involved with, that's a chaplain in the local jails, uh, retire after 33 years. And someone went and did, pulled some stats and said over the course of 33 years, he had individually counseled 33,000 inmates. 11,000 times he'd been asked to bring the news to one of the inmates that a loved one had died and to deal with that situation. Because long-term faithfulness leads to many things, leads to a lot of things getting accomplished. Which is good. The bad news is, I only get so many decades. Right? I mean, it's good that this, this happened, but I am getting to the end of my sixth decade. It is unlikely I get six more. The last of the verses that I want to deal with here is the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson, right, is the beginning, as I said, of Jesus' ministry. Jesus calls these two disciples, Andrew and the unnamed disciple. And I'll give you a hint, when you're in the gospel of John and there's a disciple who doesn't say who that is, that's probably John. So I'm just going to say Andrew and John, who, when the story starts, are disciples of John the Baptist. And when the story ends, in this chapter, most of John the Baptist's disciples are still disciples of John the Baptist. We know that later on in the scripture, John will send some of his disciples to go ask Jesus a question. Do you remember that story? So most of his disciples stay with John the Baptist, but these two hear John point to this guy and say, this is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. This is the person who I saw the Holy Spirit descend on like a dove. This is the person whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So when we hear this story and we say, well, of course they follow Jesus, we have to remember that most of the people in that crowd 
did not at that time. Most of John the Baptist's disciples didn't make that change. There is nothing wrong by any means with being a disciple of John the Baptist, one of the greatest prophets ever sent. But sometimes to do the things we want to do or feel called to do, we may need to give up something else that we're doing. Jesus is not, as of this story, any longer a carpenter or whatever he's been doing for 33 years. His life has just changed as well. So what kind of things might we think of that might get in the way of us accomplishing the change that we're looking for in our lives? Well, I'll just throw out one suggestion that may be a little obvious. (laughs) I don't know if you know the stat, but roughly American adults spend nearly six hours a day watching TV and other videos. Now, I know that I spent two hours yesterday, so some of you spent ten. (laughs) Somebody is making up for me here. (laughs) And that is fine. Unless, of course, you're trying to write the great American novel or do something else that takes time, in which case this might be getting in the way. So I want to talk about those 12... Those those were the four uh, different principles that I promised you. Now I want to talk about 12 practical tips. And these are probably not the tips for you. But I'm hoping they'll give you some ideas. And I'm looking for you to pick up one idea of something that you might try to change. Might be one that will list, probably not. But I'm hoping this will give you some idea. Because a goal without a plan is just a wish. And I love that quote. So, we're looking for practical tips. Let's talk a a little about psychology. So, I don't know if you've noticed, but we tend to remember the things that we encounter, the things that we see. Did you know that when you go to the grocery store and you see that soda on the end cap, that the reason they put it there is 45% of all Coca-Cola is sold from the end cap of a grocery store because it is visible, because you see it and you buy it. Did you know you are much more likely to buy the things at eye level in the store than you are the things on the lower shelf? They don't put things on the lower shelf they want you to buy because they know that when we see things, we remember them, right? It doesn't talk us into buying the thing we don't like, but it reminds us of the thing that we were planning on buying or we like to buy. So if, for instance, you want to play the guitar more, don't put the guitar in a closet, put it out where you'll trip over it. Uh, Fortunately, there's no kids in this sermon, so I'm not going to get in trouble with somebody's mother. (laughs) If, for instance, you want to read more, then next to your favorite chair ought to be your book or your Kindle, And the remote control maybe ought to be up on a shelf. Let's just consider that where we put it away. Okay? Just as a suggestion. We also have to think about the things that negatively trigger us, the behaviors that we want to undo, because they often have triggers as well. I have a friend who has an Apple Watch. And the Apple Watch has this great healthcare feature that it reminds you periodically to stand up because standing up is good for you. Well, he works at home. He said every time it beeped, he would stand up and he would take a break and he would walk downstairs and he'd end up in the kitchen and he'd eat a cookie. (laughs) That is not what was intended, but that was the way it was working for him. For me, I know that one of the reasons I put on extra weight last year is that I stress eat when there is when there is stressful political news, which shouldn't be a problem at all over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I don't see that being a problem at all. So think about what triggers the behavior you want to start or the behavior you want to stop. Also think about habit stacking. This is a term that comes from those people who are in the in the 
you know, the uh, habit business, if it will, if you will. So in the morning, I have a habit stack. I get out of bed and I always, you know, go to the bathroom, wash my face, brush my teeth, uh, shave, floss, shower, get dressed, and in that order. That is called a habit stack. So if you have some behavior that you're looking to make, can it fit into the things that you already do without having to think about it? Maybe in that space, if I'm looking to have more joy this year, I ought to have a getting ready playlist that I turn on when I start that, that starts me in the right mood for the whole day. Maybe if I've got a, I've got a word of the day calendar and I'm trying to remember a new word of the day, that's where it ought to go, where I have time, where I'm shaving or putting on my makeup, depending on which you do in the morning. Or if you want to pray more, maybe that's where a picture of the person you want to pray for or the, or the prayer list from your bulletin ought to be taped to your mirror. Where you're doing that anywhere, you're not going to forget to get up and brush your teeth, hopefully. <laughs> Only brush the ones you want to keep. Um, or, for instance, if you want to remember to call your mother more or your daughter or your granddaughter, change your lock screen to be their photo so that every time you pick up your phone, you were reminded that that's somebody you want to remember to call. Or conversely, if I find I'm spending too much time on social media, maybe I delete Facebook from my phone. You can do that. Or just turn off the notifications. Yeah, Brad, it's, it can happen. <laughs> So, or can you come find time to do the things that you want to do in the, your busy schedule? I, I was having time finding with all the things I was trying to get done working out. This is now my, my cycle desk. And in a typical work day, I spend two hours uh, a day on the desk doing my computery stuff while I cycle. Um, while you, if you want to read more, how about book, you know, free audiobooks from the library, books on tape, now there are books, electronic books that you're doing while you walk the dog. Also, think about making an appointment. The things that we actually set aside time for and we make an appointment, we will remember to do more likely. So, if you want to get more involved in Bethel, Right back here outside that door, there is a sign-up for the supper clubs, and you'll meet more people, and it will be on your calendar. Not just a wish, but an appointment. If you want to read the Bible more, the way that I found to do it, if you go to chris2x.com slash dailybible, I had to write myself a program so that I could request, sign up for a book of the Bible, and email myself every morning one book from the Bible. Because I wasn't remembering to pick up the Bible, I never forget to check email. Okay, so those are your 12 practical tips that may be completely irrelevant for you, but I'm hoping it will get you thinking about what change you would like to see in your life or what change you think God would like to see in your life and how you might practically move in that direction. And I love this quote from John Maxwell. Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. We are a result of the choices we make. We are defined by the choices we actually make, not the wishes that we have. And I am encouraged within that, because that can be frustrating. Remember, I'm the guy who got up and said that I already blew last year's New Year's resolutions. But I'm encouraged within that with my verse of the year, my personal verse that I'm focusing on is this verse from one of Paul's other letters from Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at 
work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We worship a God who is a God of change. A God who changes people to be more and more like him. A God who is in the change business and is at work in us and has plans for us. And so I say with Paul, Amen. Y'all, we all got weaknesses. It's okay. Just acknowledge what those weaknesses are and be willing to confront them. Even when restoration doesn't work, forgiveness always does. Chris, how did you overcome the whole passive husband thing? I led him through it. (laughs) (laughs) There is work for us to do. It is not just sit back and cross my arms and just kind of wait for God to drop the miracle. Hey, y'all, it's Dana Shea. For real faith-based marriage advice, be sure to tune in to Real Relationship Talk on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.